Welcome to the DJE Podcast, where you will learn about real estate investing from real life examples. Here's your host, Devin Elder. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today's guest is Darren Batchelder out of Dallas, Texas. He's a uh, longtime professional, he's a CPA and has a, has had a very successful corporate career, but made the transition to multifamily investing. And we talk about that transition um, and all the steps that went into it, why he did that, how he built his team, how they're going out there and taking down big deals. I think you're going to get a lot of value from that, whether you're a passive investor or an operator or an aspiring operator, you name it. Before we jump into the episode with Darren, couple of notes from our sponsors here. Uh, DJETexas.com is where you can go if you're not currently seeing our investment projects that we put out. You could go there to get registered as an investor. Secondly, we created ApartmentEducators.com as a community for folks that want to go out and operate these projects. We show you exactly how we do it and provide you with the whole ecosystem and set of tools to go out and do that at apartmenteducators.com. So a couple of couple of notes there from our sponsors. Let's dive in now to this episode with Darren Batchelder. Here we go. Darren, hello and welcome. How are you? Nice to see you. Fantastic. I appreciate you having me on your show. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So a couple of Texas multifamily guys here. We're going to get into all the shop talking a little bit. But before that, how about uh, an overview for our audience here, maybe that hasn't met you before? Um, what's your background? How'd you how'd you get into this game? Yeah, so uh, my, I kind of jumped around a bit. Um, I'm 52. I When I graduated, I was um, an accounting major, University of Rhode Island, an East Coast guy. Grew up yep. in Connecticut, and um, I started out as a CPA with Price Waterhouse, and then kind of traveled the world with with PepsiCo in their international audit group. Um, wanted to get in sales, so got into software sales. Uh, was was selling large ERP applications, and um, did it for a large company, and then um, then did the dot com thing during <laughs> during the heyday, um, and then I transitioned into institutional. Um, loan portfolio trading. So we were trading large multifamily and residential loan portfolios, uh, direct bank to bank. So I was working for AB and AMRO. I was on their mortgage capital markets trading desk and uh, responsible for trading those loans directly to other banks. And uh, with that, I saw the power of multifamily and, mm-hmm. um, you know, large, um, you know, chief lending officers and bank presidents that just loved the performance of multifamily loans. And so then in 2007, I started my own company uh, called TZK Capital. I still have that company today. And um, that's focused on trading loan portfolios between banks. And but about four years ago, I, I finally said, like, look, I've been hearing about this multifamily thing for a long time. Why am I not buying any of it? Um, as a, an actual investor. So I, I went out looking for a way to do that. And so I've been in the game for about four years. And, and um, I just think it's a phenomenal uh, place to be. And, um, you know, I'm just out to try to let more people know that they can get involved. Yeah, I love it. it part, of, part of what we do is kind of evangelizing. There's so many folks that have the wherewithal and the capability to do this, especially as an LP, which doesn't require a whole lot beyond uh, some capital and some education. Right. Um, 
so that, you know, there's the addressable kind of market of people that could do this and are not is nearly everyone. <laughs> so It's crazy. Uh, Back when I was making, when I was on the mortgage capital markets desk, I was making fantastic money, but I was yep. a W2 employee. Sure. And I would have loved to have known somebody doing this where I could have been an LP, transferred money over, received tax benefits. Oh yeah. Like I had no idea that this even existed until about four years ago. Yeah. A lot of it is, uh, is knowing a guy and it's right. still, even with the internet and podcasts, it still is kind of a, a lot of, uh, knowing a guy or your, you know, your neighbor does it and you get right. there and it, it kind of grows, you know, I'm curious on the portfolio trading, what kind of scale we're we talking about, you know, you're selling from a portfolio from bank A to bank B. Yeah. How, how big is it? What, what's the, what's the ticket? So, so I mean, in, in my lifetime, I've traded probably four or $5 billion in, in yeah. loans. Um, you know, it, it could be, you know, on the small end, like a $5 million trade um, to a community bank to, you know, North of a hundred million um, to, yeah. to some, you know, regional, regional banks that are looking to, and you know, the purpose for them buying loans because these were unsecuritized loans. So not, not, not MBS was that look, they can, their best yielding assets are loans that they originate themselves. You know, on the other side of the ticket, they could buy mortgage backed securities and, or they could buy loans from somebody like us and then their yield is going to fall in between. So that's, that's kind of the, the game. It's just one more item on the menu for them is right. to just purchase an existing loan. And they're just purchasing the existing paper, moving it over, right? Yeah. And, and you know, it's, look, everybody has different needs. So one bank is, you know, very good at originating loans. So right. they have more loans than they, they want to keep on their balance sheet. And then another, you know, bank is very good at raising deposits and they have, a lot of cash, but they have to put that cash to work and they're not able to make enough loans themselves. So they supplement that by buying loans from others. Sure. Sure. Yeah. It's like an acquisition almost. You just bolt on some, some revenue, right? Yeah. And in our business in the syndication business, look, there are some people that do it all like yourself, right? You're, you're multifaceted, you know, vertically integrated company that has your own property management company. You syndicate deals, you, you raise the capital, um, there's other syndicators that I know that, you know, they're really good at sourcing deals, you know, but they need some help on the capital raise side. So then they'll partner with some other, other people on the capital raise side. So it's kind of the same, the same idea. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, playing to your strengths, which is right. one of the reasons we all love multifamilies. You really can participate from a sliver to the whole pie and, and everywhere in between, which is, which is really a lot of flexibility for for people that are getting in there and actually doing direct, direct deals. Um, the, the CPA background, I, I, that seems to be kind of a common denominator. I feel like in a, in a lot of people that are successful in this business, you know, how is that, how is that transferred uh, for you? We're dealing with larger P and L's and in general, larger budgets, you know, maybe kind of multi-million dollar um, NOI and stuff like that on an annual basis. So, you know, was that, was that a real benefit to you coming into this business? Um, you know, I, I say yes and no. Yes, because it is a numbers business, right? It is, you know, the numbers have to work and you have to be able to figure out, um, can you get the returns for your, your limited partners? Um, but there's also a sales side of things and a deal maker side of things that 
I think a lot of, you know, accountants or CPAs have a hard time, you know, crossing that. Sure. Even some attorneys. Yeah, exactly. So just risk averse. Um, So there, you know, there is risk in every investment. um, But I love the fact that, you know, multifamily has, uh, you know, positive cash flow. It's got tax benefits. It's got massive leverage, you know, um, it's, and it's a, it's a physical asset that you could actually drive to and, and go touch and feel. In addition to that, the difference between, you know, investing in say the stock market, which I had done prior, you know, um, to, to four years ago, stocks, ETFs, you, you know, you buy Amazon stock, you cannot call Jeff Bezos, you know, next, you know, and ask him, Hey, what's going on? But with these syndication deals, you have access to the people that are running the deals. And so you can actually, you know, call them, you're friends with them, you trust them. Um, It's, it's a completely different animal. It is. And part of that too, is really almost all the time is direct LLC ownership. I mean, if you're an LP in a deal or GP in a deal, you own a piece of that LLC. And it, I mean, there's, there's benefits that correspond to being so close to the fire, so to speak, right? Yeah. And that is also why we're out there telling people about it because you don't get invited unless you know somebody, right? right. I mean, everything comes from, you know, some kind of direct relationship to one of the general partners in the deal. And, um, you know, I was, you know, I've been part of some nice golf clubs and some wealthy people and, Prior to four years ago, I'd never got the invite to one of these private placement deals. And, um, you know, so getting in the circle is something that, you know, is important. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Still very much a relationship-based business. Even if it's a $20 million deal with a $6 million equity chunk, a lot of times that $6 million is made up of hundred or $200,000 checks just aggregated. Right. Um, which is the power of the syndication model. And we're kind of democratizing access to this stuff. So there's, there's an element of that. That's pretty enjoyable. Absolutely. And, and uh, you know, I don't know the right answer, but you know, the difference between B and C, you know, C C being accredited investors only. Mm -hmm. um, I understand why the government does it. Right. But at the same time, I, I feel bad. Like I, I have, I have a, an investor who, you know, he's like, Darren, I've, you know, I've got an 125 grand ready to go on the next deal. Um, and you know, I ended up partnering with somebody that did a 506 C and it was only accredited and, and he couldn't participate, you know, yep. and you know, it's a bummer, you know, be in, because some people just get shut out just because of net worth or income requirements. Um, but you know, I think that that that's probably going to change over time too, but, um, with all the crowdfunding things that are going on, but in any event, um, that's the, that's the way it is today. And that's what, you know, what we have to play with. Yeah. hundred percent. We've kind of struggled with that as well. I mean, we pretty much just do our own deals, but we've stayed with 506B kind of for that reason, you know, yeah. we like to be able to bring in those 35 seats. Right. Um, it hasn't hindered our, our ability to raise the rest of the capital from accredited investors. And then it's also less burden on the investors with the verification. You know, if you've got a right. hundred investors in a deal, right. burdening them all with the third party verification. That's a lot of hours for investors to be 
doing paperwork if you if you add it up. So, you know, every sponsor's got to kind of make the, the balancing act there. It's interesting that we've got to obviously toe the line with these securities laws and our attorneys help us with that. And then, you know, we're talking mid-2022 right now. We've got the crypto universe exploding. Right. Massive. Well, now, now it's going in reverse, but it, it, it was exploding, no, I mean, exploding right, right. like going oh, down. Right, right, right. You right. know, you've got all this fraud happening. And I mean, most of that crypto stuff is blatantly unregistered securities. You know, you've got a sponsor. Uh, what is it? The, the, the Howey test, the four parts of the Howey test. You've got a sponsor, an expectation of profit, passive investors. Hey, man, that's a security. Those guys are doing billions of dollars over there on these crypto things. Uh, it's kind of annoying to see that. You know, right. go right. go unchecked by the SEC, uh, but obviously that's that's above uh, my pay grade uh, here. But uh, you know, we we it's it's good that we at least have a framework to work within to go raise capital for these. A- absolutely, absolutely. I mean, this is a whole nother world. And uh, look, I wish I had started in my twenties or thirties, but I'm glad I I finally started. So I'm I'm glad I got involved. Yeah. What was the catalyst for you? You know, you're kind of adjacent to this space for a while. Yeah. Um, and you see it all the time, even, you know, multifamily brokers, you think they would be like, right. All over this. They know it inside now. Um, you know, was, what was the catalyst for you to say, all right, I gotta, I gotta get in on the, on the, you know, um, you know, you know, I have to say that it, I knew it for a long time and I just, I don't know if it was, I, I guess it was fear. Like, so when I got involved, um, the first, deal I did was I, my wife and I bought a new construction duplex, you know, and that was all mindset. It was like the only thing that I thought that I could, you know, really believe I could achieve. And when I did it, I can't tell you all the different steps that went into it, but I was scared. It was like, I don't know. And I had the capital. I mean, I think it was 55 K or something like that, that my wife and I had put into it. And, um, we had plenty of capital, but I think that as humans, we are more afraid to lose than we are, you know, thinking about the positive of winning, you know, 100%. when it comes to investments. So making that duplex, you know, decision, you know, got me over the, over the hump, you know, and, and it was, I was scared, but once I did that, I was like, it's going to take me forever. If I just keep buying duplex and fourplexes, I'm like, I got to go bigger. And then once I went looking for a way to go bigger, you know, I think the big thing is surrounding yourself with other people that have done it. You know, if you surround yourself with other like-minded people that have done it, you start looking around the room and you're like, look, they're smart, but if they can do it, I can do it. hundred percent. You know? Yeah, that is a very real transfer that I feel like must happen. Yeah. Um, and that's exactly it. You get there. I mean, it, if there's one takeaway for anyone wanting to do this, it's peer group. There's a lot of other pieces you got to figure out. But without peer group, you know, most of us are in a default peer group. Family, right? W2 job, those could be good. Those could be bad. But just running the numbers, almost certainly they're not wealth-minded and entrepreneur-minded. And so you really got to proactively put yourself in that peer group. And then we just, it's just human nature. You start to mimic your peer group, whether 
it's buying apartments or stealing cars, you know, your peer group, you're just going to start to, you're going to start. Huge. And, it, and I'd say it's not just like your peer group wealthy versus not wealthy. Like I had yep. an individual, a relative um, that was very well to do um, and in, in, in a lot of real estate transactions too. And when, when I got counsel from, from him on, Hey, look, you know, I'm looking to buy this duplex. The builder was unwilling to change any of the red lines they'd had in, in the agreement. And he's like, I wouldn't do the deal. Right. And which I understand, you know, like, because I was trying to protect, you know, our interest if all of a sudden something happened along the way and he was halfway built and he, he ends up going south. Um, but what happened was because I took action on that duplex and, and it all worked out and, but it forced me, it got me thinking like, okay, now I can go bigger. If I never did that, if I didn't pull the trigger on that duplex, I probably wouldn't have gone searching for a way to go bigger. I love it. Yeah. It was a, it was a, it was just a stepping stone or an right. adjacent, uh, you know, this concept of adjacent possibilities. You walk into one room, you don't know what's in it, but now you're in that room and Hey, there's a door over there. You wouldn't have seen the door from the previous room. You just got to kind of keep, keep going through that. And um, th I, that definitely happened for me too. I think buying a lot of smaller deals early on taught me all the things I didn't want to do and right. forced to look for solutions to that. And that inevitably led me to multifamily. So that's perfect. You know, start somewhere and get going. Right. A absolutely. <laughs> I mean, and like for people, I've seen people too, like starting a business, whether it's not in the investment world, they go and they start this business and it doesn't work but then they see another opportunity mm -hmm. and they pivot and all of a sudden that works. Right. And, but they never would have gotten there had they not tried the first uh, time. Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. I feel like the last few years for us have been like a Midas touch for our companies. It's just, this is working and this is working. And I think I just attribute that to, well, I I've literally done everything else. I mean, I've done all the mistakes in the first five years of business felt like all I did was make mistakes. And at some point you just start like, well, I know not, I know to avoid that. I made that. <laughs> right. All right. that's left is think things are going to work. Uh, that's an oversimplification, but you know, it's, it's part of the journey. So what did your first, you know, uh, bigger multifamily project look like, you know, getting into, getting into the real multifamily. Yeah. Stuff. So I, you know, I, I first started out as a, so we're going back to, I bought the duplex, I think October, 2017. Um, I joined a multifamily mentorship group December of that year. So a few months later. Um, and then my first LP deal was in January of 2018. So the first step in my process was, hey, I know I want to become an active syndicator, but I want to learn from other people. Um, so I pulled money out of the stock market and I started to invest in other uh, LP deals. Mm. And um, so January 2018 was the first one. And, you know, for some LPs, limited partners, their, their goal is purely what's the return and am I going to get a good return? I kind of had a dual purpose on every one of the deals. Um, one, I wanted to understand, learn the business. Right. I wanted to see the communication style 
from each of the, the syndicators. So that, um, so I invested in deals with a lot of different syndicators and, you know, I, I kind of took what I liked from some and, and discarded what I didn't like sure. for my own, um, my own style. And then at the same time, as I was investing in those LP deals, I started to underwrite deals. I started to go out on, on, you know, broker tours. I started to put out letter of intents. And then, um, I remember my first letter of intent. Um, my wife was like, are you excited? Um, I'm like, I'm scared shitless. Like what happens if, <laughs> what, what happens if they accept it? I don't know if, if right. I'm ready. Right. That's the real problem. Yeah. Um, but the next deal was like after that, that I put a LOI on was like double the size. And I was so confident. Mm. I was like, because I saw where that other deal traded, I saw where other deals were trading. I learned the market. I learned the sub market. And so you build your confidence. Like you were saying, you've done all those learning lessons, made all those mistakes that you start building confidence in your knowledge. And, and so it took me nine months to, to land my first um, deal. So it was September, 2018, it was a 76 unit townhome community in Crowley, Texas, which is about 20 minutes south of Fort Worth. Um, I partnered with a very experienced guy, uh, Raj Gupta out of Chicago. Um, so I would highly recommend any aspiring syndicators on your first deal, partner with somebody that's already already done it, um, you know, for a number of different reasons. One is credibility uh, with the brokers and, and with investors. Um, but that deal we just sold in March, and I think we doubled the value of the property in a little bit over three years and, you know, it turned out to be a great deal. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's just a crazy industry. And here's another thing. It's like that same individual that I asked about that duplex. I asked, Hey, have you ever seen, cause he's around a lot of wealthy people. Have you ever seen anybody become wealthy just by saving? Mm. And he thought to himself and he said, you know what? I don't think I have like, right. you know, that what we were taught, go to school, get good grades, get a good job, put 10, 20% away into the stock market. It's going to grow into this big nest egg. You know, he told me, he's like, look, Darren, from my experience, I saw people build wealth by doing real estate transactions, by buying businesses, by building businesses, by, yeah perhaps being uh, with a tech company and you get stock options, you know, but it's ownership, you know, owning assets is where I saw, he saw wealth building. hundred percent. I mean, this is such a simple takeaway to distill. You know, I talked to my kids about this. It's like, guys, you know, you can do anything you want. You guys want to be doctors or astronauts, attorneys, what, you know, whatever floats your boat but you got to figure out a way to be an owner somewhere in there along the way that right. maybe it doesn't have to be your primary vocation. You don't have to do real estate like me, but um, if you're going to be financially independent, you have to be an owner. And it just, it's such a different mindset, but you know, let's just start with the taxes yeah. as a W2 you are, you know, this is unfortunate. It's how it is, but the middle class is bearing all of the tax burden. Yeah, the, it's, the, the it really end, is crazy. 
not paying it, the higher end's not paying it. And business owners are figuring out a way, you know, to, to expense stuff and use depreciation and not pay taxes. And so zero tax advantages as an employee, you got to get over on the owner side. So it's such a simple concept. Uh, it's obviously hard to do. It's hard to change horses, you know, especially after you have a successful career, but um, that's where it's at, right? Uh, absolutely. But, you know, I look, I'm 52. I got involved four years ago. Yep. I would say that it's never too late. You I know, love it. it's yep. never too late to, you know, to move and you don't have to go all in, you know, like yes. go pull, pull a piece off and, you know, and try it and then just right. see the benefits for yourself. I mean, I, I remember a LP deal. So I had people say, Hey, Darren, you're in a bunch of LP deals. You know, who are your, your you know, your horses, the, the, the really good syndicators versus the dogs. And I'm like, I'm not going to, you know, throw anybody on the bus. It's just not the way I am. Yeah. But in my head, I had this one deal that was, I was thinking about, and I'm like, this deal, you know, we bought it. It was like high 80% dropped into the seventies. I'm thinking to myself, you know, what's going on? This one's going to be, this was probably my most troubled deal. Mm-hmm. Well, a year later, all of a sudden I saw deals that were trading in that submarket. And I'm looking at the per unit cost and I'm like, holy cow, this is probably going to be one of my best deals. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and then they brought the deal back up into the mid nineties occupancy yep. and it just took some time. It doesn't go in a straight line every time. And, you know, we more than doubled our money as a passive. So all, all we did, all I did and my wife and I, you know, we transferred funds into the deal three years later, you know, hundred grand turned into more than 200. You know, that was not, was not happening on, you know, in the stock market. Yeah, absolutely. And with, with kind of your downside protection, I mean, you you have a, that's what I love about these real estate deals. I've invested in all kinds of things. And um, a lot of it is just directly correlated when your, your reward potential goes up. So does the risk right there. Um, You know, I'd be curious from, from your days trading these loans, what kind of default rates you were seeing on multifamily? I mean, I imagine it was pretty darn low. It it was extremely, extremely low, Um, extremely low. And so, you know, in terms of the other thing that you mentioned, um, you know, so, and I didn't really think about it for a while, but I was at a a conference and Fannie Mae came to talk and they put up a, a graph and I knew that they, they were conservative and whatnot, but you know, when you do an LP deal, you've got the, the lead sponsor who is putting together the underwriting. You've got, you know, partners in the deal potentially that are also reviewing the underwriting and saying whether they want to get involved. You may be part of a mentorship group. They might look at it and give you feedback. Uh, you've got a property management company that's going to look at it to say, is this realistic? And then you go for financing. So, you know, we ended up getting a Freddie small balance loan on, on the deal that I mentioned in, in Crowley. Well, um, but, you know, Fannie and Freddie, that graph was very interesting. So their 90 day delinquency, okay, up until like 2008 was something like 25 or 35 basis points. Incredible. Nothing. Delinquency, not bad debt. Right. Like 90 day delinquency. Late payments. So so well sub 1%. Yes. And then in the, in the great recession, 2008, 2010, it went up 
to like 85, 90, 90 basis points, still less than 1%. And that is delinquency, not bad debt. Right. right. And Correct. so that confirmed all the things I had been hearing from these bank presidents and these chief lending officers that, you know, multifamily is very resilient, even in a downturn, in a recession. And so then I, when I started thinking about all the different eyes that look at all these deals, mm-hmm. you know, you've got the sponsor, you've got the partners, you've got the property management company, but then Fannie and Freddie, they have the most data of anybody out there. They have data all across the country yep. in good times and bad times. And they're only approving the loan based on the existing cash flow. They're not approving it based on you know, your operating plan, your pro forma. So if they approve the loan and give you the, the, the proceeds that they say they're going to, that you put in your model, to me, that's just another confirmation that this is a strong deal. This is a strong cash flowing asset. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a validation of it when an organization of that size with that much data uh, is, is signing off on it. Um, it's interesting, you know, we talk about sometimes with investors, worst case scenarios, and I always say worst case scenario is a nuclear bomb hits the asset, we all die. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's the real worst case scenario or a uh, asteroid. A worse, a realistic worst case scenario, which we've, we've never touched is, you know, I get you 10% cash on cash return, which I'll be thoroughly embarrassed by. Uh, and, and I got you a double digit return, you know, and it's never happened. But to me, that would be a real miss. Uh, and as a downside, pretty darn good. You know? right. um, so that that's really important. You know, we want to double our money and things like that. And some of those deals are going to go real well. But even a 20% average annualized return that you feel pretty good about not ever losing principal on is a real solid strategy. Real right. solid. Uh, capital preservation. I mean, you yeah. know, like, and so I asked a guy who he's invested in 40 or 50 deals as an LP. He just never wanted to become a syndicator. Um, (laughs) And and I asked him, have you ever lost any money on any deal? And he said, Darren, I've never lost money on any one of these multifamily deals. He said, Darren, I have had deals where they told me cash flow is going to be 8% a year and it ended up being 4% or maybe there was no cash flow. Yep. Um, or maybe they said that, you know, you were going to double my money and I didn't double the money, but I didn't lose money. Um, or they said, Hey, this is a five-year business plan and it extended out to seven years, you know? So, but in every one of those circumstances, I did not lose any of my capital. And I'm like, Holy cow. Think about the stock market right now. Everybody that is invested in the stock market has at least one stock that is in the red. I, well, I can't say everybody, but I, I would bet that most people have a stock that is in the red. Sure. Yeah. Or any other kind of investment type that that you're going out there to do. I mean, uh, you've got, you're just assuming there's going to be some losers where you lose capital. And so the other thing is that, and that, you know, so the downside of these deals is you lose liquidity. Right. Right. So you're in the deal for five, you know, could be three years, could be four or five, six, seven years. Um, But it could also be a plus. So like 
think about what happened in COVID, right? Stock market tanked for like a week or two. Everybody's watching CNBC. Well, I had a, all these multifamily deals that they don't have ticker symbols. Yeah. Right. So I'm like, look, as long as they could pay the mortgage and they could operate the, the property, there's nothing I can do about it. And I can't look at my phone and see I'm down 50%. But, you know, so people, you know, emotionally when they're losing, a lot of times they sell. Right. And then they miss it going back up, you know, on the stock side. But with these multifamily deals, it could help LPs that, you know what, you can't do anything. And then you just ride it out. And then the syndicator waits for a better time. And then they either refi or sell the property at that point. Absolutely. There's something, uh, it's just addictive having our phones and, and social media and, you know, constantly changing prices on everything. It's really stressful. You know, it's stress, especially if you've got significant a portion of your net worth tied up in this stuff. Uh, and I, you know, I remember thinking, uh, same thing on some stock stuff. I was like, thank goodness. You know, I've got large allocation in multifamily where I just don't have to check it every day because the urge, if I could, Right. You know, build some algorithm that gives you real-time valuations on your property. Like you'd be checking it all day, driving bonkers. So that yeah, is a benefit. I agree. Absolutely. Now I think that over time, you know, I'm going out a ways, you know, there's probably going to be some, some way of digitizing and sure. providing additional liquidity, whether that's through some kind of, um, you know, crypto type of, you know, technology or something else. But sure. um you know, right now it's not there. Yeah, it's still or, pretty. Or at least it's not commonplace. Yeah, the business is kind of the same as it's been for really decades. I mean, we've got some nice tech on site with, you know, whatever uh, tech packages and things that are that are nice, but it, they're not fundamentally changing the business model. Right. right. They're just making things more convenient for leasing and for, for residents. But uh, business model is still pretty much the same. Bank debt, equity. You know, hold on to it for a few years. So here's the other thing, and, and I'm sure you hear this a lot from LPs, like some, you know, people that are just looking to get in the business or especially if they have, you were talking about peer group, your peer group that is chirping in their ear, like real estate is risky, right? right. But most of these value add deals, you know, have already been proven. So, you know, you're buying an apartment complex, and you're saying, hey, I can, re- I think if we do these improvements, we could raise rents by two or $300 over the, the life of the business plan. Well, you're not just, at least my experience talking to syndicators and doing deals is they're not guessing. Like they've already gone and looked at properties down the road that have already done it. And they're already achieving those rents. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like, you're not speculating. You're saying, Hey, look down the road, they've done these types of improvements. If we do similar type of improvements, we should be able to get similar rents. That's right. And the property itself might even have some units that are already achieving it. Right. Exactly. That have proven it. Yeah. And, and, you know, to your point earlier, if I try to sell a 10% year over year rent growth to my bank, they're going to go, uh, uh, you know, if I try to sell a thousand dollar rental premium, uh, the bank's going to go, yeah, no, that's, right. 
we don't agree with that. Put it here. So, you know, we can do whatever we want with our Excel spreadsheet, manipulate that. It's not going to pass a sniff test from the management company. They're not right. going to agree to hit those numbers. Right. It's not going to pass a sniff test with the bank. And it's not going to pass a sniff test with investors um, when they see that. And so you get all kind of checks and balances in there. Not to say, look, I mean, not to say there's zero risk, but there sure are a lot of checks and balances built into the system. There, there are. And the other thing that I don't, I don't think that a lot of LPs think about, um, and I've been on both sides and I still invest both ways. Sure. Um, yeah. But, you know, the syndicator is fronting a lot of the money. You know, they're putting down hard, hard money, you know, which could be, you know, a couple hundred grand, it could be a half million, it could be a million. I mean, that's out of their pocket, right? Plus all of the costs of, you know, hiring an attorney doing the appraisal, you know, the loan application fee. So all of that money is fronted by the syndicator. And then, yes, it's reimbursed at closing 60 days or 90 days later, you know, from the property. But if that deal doesn't close, it's the syndicator, it's the sponsor that is out all that capital. You know, yeah, all the investors certainly are going to get their capital back. That's so right. no. that... You know, I don't think that a lot of, you know, LPs think about that. They just think, oh, they they want my money. And, you know, is this a good deal for me to invest in? And look, everybody is going to look at things through the through their own eyes and, and what, you know, what's good for them. But that is a, another reason that, you know, syndicators aren't going to just, you know, go into contract on any deal because right. they have to front the money and they have to know yeah. and be confident that they could raise the capital. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much that goes with that front end work. I mean, if a deal from a reputable syndicator, you know, hits your inbox and they're actively raising capital, man, you can bet there's a hundred that you didn't see get that far. You right. know, for sure. For sure. Well, what's ahead for you? You know, you're, you're doing this as an LP and a GP and, and, and you've made this transition, you know, what, what do you, what do yeah, you, so, um, for the, you know, future? the, that other deal I talked about, um, my partner Raj was like, Hey, Darren, what do you want to do on this deal responsibility wise? And, and yeah. I'm like, look, I want to do it all. Cause I want to learn the business and, you know, have you kind of watch over me. And, um, so I did. And then through that, I started thinking, what do I enjoy and what do I not enjoy? Yes. And where do I want to spend my time going forward? And so for me, um, I, don't really love the admin piece and, and the, you know, day-to-day -day operations. Um, but I love getting people involved in deals and, and getting the word out. So, um, you know, my focus going forward is uh, I've got a podcast as well as you, I just want to get more people introduced to doing this. And yep. then, um, I want to be, you know, a partner on a lot of different deals. Um, but more on the capital raising and the strategy, um, side than the day-to-day -day operations. So that's, you know, I'm 52 and look that we've had the good fortune of having some really good deals. And uh, my wife and I went and bought an RV and we want to travel around. Yeah, and it, it just fits our lifestyle. I don't really want to build a company with, with a ton of employees. So, so that's kind of what I'm focused on going forward. I love it. Clear about your or outcomes there. You're in an, in an industry that really can, um, facilitate that you can kind of pick where you're where you're going to specialize and 
and do deals, which I love. Um, well, Darren, this has been awesome to hear about your journey. I pre- appreciate you sharing the story. Absolutely. If somebody listening wants to connect with you, what's the best way for that to happen? Yeah, uh, best way is probably uh, check out my website, darrenbatchelder.com. It's D-A-R-I-N-B-A-T-C-H-E-L-D-E-R.com. And uh, there's a contact form on there you can you can send in. Um, I'm also on social media, Facebook, um, Instagram, LinkedIn, whatever. You, so those are different avenues. So you could reach out. Beautiful. We'll link to that in the show notes. If you're listening, you just go through to the description, click, click right through to go to Darren's website and, and check that out. Uh, Darren, thank you so much. Wish you success in the, in the year ahead. It's great catching up with you. Absolutely. Right back at you. And uh, if you're ever in the Dallas area, look me up and I'll do the same in San Antonio. Perfect. Let's do it. Thanks, Darren. All right. Thanks, brother. See you. Thank you for listening to the DJE podcast. For more information, please go to DJETexas.com.